morning we are going to be in Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 36. So if you've been with us, we've been working through the book of Acts verse by verse. That's what we do at Calvary Chapel. We worked through the Gospel of Luke initially, and then we went into the uh, book of Acts. It's been a blessing for me. I don't know about you guys, but I've been blessed just growing in the Word and the knowledge of it. Just seeing the excitement from Acts chapter 1. Just the idea that you are now going to be witnesses of me, Jesus said to the, the disciples, right? He says, I'm going to give you my spirit, and you will go out and you will tell everyone about the gospel. But see, what we saw from chapter 1 to about chapter 7, it was pretty much in Jerusalem. Then we had some persecution happen. People scattered. They went to new places, right? After the, the stoning of Stephen that involved, remember Saul, who now is Paul the Apostle, the guy we've been looking at week after week now. He went out and he was persecuting the church and everyone left Jerusalem. They went to Judea and to Samaria. And then we saw that first missionary trip of Paul and things happened where they thought he was like a god, right? In Lystra, they wanted to stone him to death. They tried to stone him to death because they realized he wasn't a god. And they, there was just chaos and craziness. But can I tell you, the Lord is so faithful to take care of his church, amen? All the things that we've seen from the promise of Acts 1.8 that you will receive power to go out and do these things. To now, here we are in the end of chapter 15, and the church hasn't been stopped. <laughs> the gospel is still going forward, and people are being saved that no one ever thought could be saved. You think about that. It was a very Jewish thing when it started. And we saw last week at the Jerusalem Council that they said Gentiles can absolutely come to Jesus Christ without becoming a Jew. That was groundbreaking, right? The idea that they are not saved by keeping the law, by being circumcised, the things that the law said you had to do, but they gave some counsel. And they said, hey, obviously, <laughs> abstain from things like sexual immorality. You abstain from false gods. All the things that you used to do as Gentiles, as lost in the world, as pagans. Stay away from those things, but also don't stumble the brethren. <laughs> See, we talked about liberties last week. We talked about, hey, you are not saved because of what you do or do not do in regards to the law, amen? You are saved by grace through faith. But what we're going to see today, I believe what the Lord laid on my heart, the reason we stopped at verse 35 last week, is because we have a shorter section of Scripture. We're only going a little bit of ways into chapter 16 today. But I believe the Lord is showing us the reminder of trusting the Lord, going out in the promise that He takes care of His church, and realizing there's times when as we lay down our liberties for the glory of God, He blesses those things. Amen? And that's what we're going to see here, really maturity, the growth of not just the church in, as a whole, but as individuals as well. Does that make sense? And so they said, yeah, that was awesome. Big gold crash. All right. So if you're at Acts 15, 36, say I'm there. Awesome. Let's look at the first verse here. It says, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And so right off the bat, thank you, Matt, what we see here is Paul's desire to go back and visit all of the places that they went to on the first journey. And I don't know about you guys, but if I went through a lot of the stuff that Paul went through on his first journey, I'd be like, I ain't going back there, right? <laughs> no thanks, I'm good going somewhere else now. But I love this heart, right? What have they been doing in Antioch so far? There's this gap of time between verse 35 and 36. It says, after some days. If we look at verse 35, what they had been doing was they were preaching and teaching the word of the Lord 
and they were growing the body that was there at Antioch. See, this has always been the Lord's intended model of growing his church. You teach the word of God, amen? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. That's going to be on the test. I love it. You guys get it. That's awesome. So there you go. Every week we throw that one in there. You'll probably hear it twice more today at least. But the reality is that's why we do what we do at Calvary Chapel. Amen? You don't need my opinions. God forbid. <laughs> what you need is the Word of God. And you need the rightly divided Word of truth. And it's a huge responsibility. Let me be clear. It's not a proud thing that I say that I believe we teach the Bible soundly like that. This is on me. It's pretty simple. But we mess it up, Right? Paul knew where the power was. You go out in the power of the Spirit and you teach the Word of God. And he says, now that we've done this here and people are growing, man, five years ago, some commentators say, we went on that first missionary's trip. Now we should go back. And what did he say he wanted to do? He wanted to see how they were doing. Sometimes we have this mindset as believers, if we just get people to say the sinner's prayer, then good, we're done here, move on. Skip town. <laughs> Can I tell you, there's a place for these things, right? Like I think about the Harvest Crusade, a really blessed, cool thing that I've been at many times where Greg Laurie goes out, and in, in California it was at Angel Stadium, right, fittingly, but it would fill out this giant place and all these people, 10,000 people would come down and give their life to the Lord. And see, some people go, well, are they really saved? What's that really mean? Are they walking it out? Can I tell you one of the coolest things they would do, though, is they would assign them people to disciple them. They would hand them a Bible, they'd give them a program, they'd give them a local church to get plugged into, and then they would tell them, this is how you can grow in the Lord. At least that's how they were doing it last time I was there. I believe they're still doing it that way. But my point being here, Paul understood. We can't just hope that five years ago they said, okay, we believe, and now they're just going to be doing okay. Let's see how they're doing. This to me struck my heart as this is about maturity. This section of scripture is, that's awesome that we have been saved by grace through faith. Amen? But what are we doing now with that faith? God forbid we show up and Paul's like, dude, these guys look unrecognizable. They're back into the things of the world. They're doing all the things they were never called to do and they're avoiding the call of the Lord upon their life by being ingrained in these things. Does that make sense? But I think there's also just this practical heart of a shepherd. He's, man, I miss these guys. <laughs> I want to go back and see them. I want to love on them. I want to make sure that they're doing the things that will bless them. He wrote in Colossians 1.10, he said, Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what we should be doing as believers. It's not just that one moment. The relationship begins. It can absolutely begin with that prayer. But we want to walk that out in the grace, right? Grace covers us, Amen. But man, it should be leading to where we're walking in those good works prepared for us, right? And so that's what he's saying he wants to do. And I love it. He tells Barnabas, let's go do this thing. But look at 37 and 38. It says, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So this is interesting to me. You have Paul and Barnabas, two strong men in the Lord, greatly used by the Lord, both planted and worked in these churches. Remember, it was Barnabas that came and got Paul, right? When Paul was back home, he said, come with me to Antioch, right? And they formed that relationship. They began building these churches. So Paul says, hey, man, no brainer. Let's go back, me and you. Let's go do this. And Barnabas is like, this sounds like good, a good plan, right? No problem. But I want to take my nephew. Some would say cousin, but I think the relation is closer to nephew. 
He says, let me take my younger nephew with us, John Mark. And we're told that he was, he was determined to take him, but Paul insisted that he not go. See, this moment right here is a really crucial moment. See, back in Acts 13, when Paul's party had traveled from Cyprus to Pamphylia, let's see, I have Cyprus. You may not see this, but I thought I'd look like a professor or something and do this, okay? So we go Cyprus to Pamphylia, and when they got to Perga, this is where Timothy bailed on them at the first missionary journey. This is the second missionary journey, but just so you know the land. They got here, and Timothy says, I'm out. I'm sorry, I said Timothy. John Mark, you, I was testing you guys. See, someone correct me, good job. John Mark, we're going to meet Timothy here in a minute. John Mark bailed on him. That's how Paul feels, at least. Paul says, no, that guy didn't go with us into the work. Can I tell you, I believe in reading the word of Paul. He has a heart that is pretty merciful and gracious in most situations. I believe that given this conversation here, we see two types of personalities. <laughs> in this moment, you have Barnabas, who's, remember, the son of encouragement, right? Sometimes you can be such a son of encouragement that you almost get walked on sometimes, and you're willing to hope the best. Like, love hopes all things, amen? But sometimes you're just so determined, like, no, 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 I believe this guy still has a plan. He's going to do something. Well, remember, he's also his nephew. So I think some people may be looking at this. Maybe Paul, he's like, dude, this is nepotism, right? <laughs> you just want your boy to go because he's your nephew and you don't want your sister mad at you or something, right? <laughs> Maybe he's thinking, you're naive, man. This guy bailed on us. For Paul to feel this way, I believe it was maybe, in Paul's eyes at least, not a legitimate reason for him to go home when he went home. And many people say, well, what caused John Mark not to continue on? We don't know. But for Paul to be mad about it and say, no, he, he kind of deserted us, it feels like maybe it was homesickness. Maybe it was fearfulness. Maybe it was weariness. And I don't know. I'm just speculating at this point, right? But it became this thing where the two of them could not agree. And look what happened in 39 through 41. It says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren by the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So again, we have this personality type of Barnabas, the encourager of all encouragers, hope in all things. Man, I think if we give him another shot, he's going to be great. And I am intending to bring him. I'm determined to bring him with us. Don't care what you say, Paul. We've got to bring him. <laughs> Paul says, absolutely not. And it became so sharp, it says, that they actually parted from each other. And the word for parted there in the Greek is apokorizo. And it's to sever. Fellowship. This is a brutal word. This is a cutting away. Like a broken, cut fellowship. And I think about this, and I've got to be honest with you, I've been in board meetings at a church where we can't agree on things and we go, hey, let's just, this is just a Paul and Barnabas kind of thing. Can I tell you, I think God forbid that we have a Paul and Barnabas situation because I believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't use sharp, severed fellowship to drive his, 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 his plans. Now, can I tell you something cool, though? The Lord is so good that he's going to make this work out for his glory, amen? But sometimes we look at this, and I get it. These are two guys we love in Scripture. We want them to be perfect, Right? At this moment, it's funny because Paul's like, no, I don't think this is a good thing. We're not taking him. But can I tell you what Paul said later? In 2 Timothy 4.11, he said, Mark, John Mark is useful for me, for ministry. He says, this guy is valuable to me. And then, can I tell you what John Mark eventually did? He wrote the Gospel of Mark. 
I'm sorry, but that's pretty incredible. I think Paul maybe made a misjudgment in general on Mark's personality and potential. But I think maybe Barnabas was out of the loop on the timing for John, John Mark. See, let me tell you what happens here. As Paul says, right now, this guy's too, I believe he's probably thinking, this guy's not spiritually or physically mature to go with us. Barnabas says, but he's a good kid. Paul says, I don't believe that. But down the road, Paul will go, hey, it turns out Barnabas is right on this guy. I think the timing just didn't make sense. And can I tell you what happened here? Again, this is this commentator's take on this. <laughs> but how many times have we said, this sounds like a good thing to do. Let's just go do it and not seek the Lord on these things. I didn't see any portion in this section where they prayed and fasted about what to do with John Mark. All there was was contention so sharp that they split ways. Still both believers, still actively serving the Lord. And eventually, Paul wrote about Barnabas. They didn't seem to have this falling out forever in the sense where they like, hated each other. But it absolutely split the direction they were going. And now again, some would say, well, no, the Lord had this plan. He had to split them here. I don't know. I think the Lord's so powerful and mighty that he can do this without deep contention and, and bitterness towards one another. <laughs> but whatever it is, I think it's incredible because it reminds us that timing is so important in the things that we do in the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, you might be sitting here and go, look, at people have made a judgment call on me. <laughs> they said, I'll never amount to anything in the Lord because of this mistake I did back here. I tell you, I think maybe in this case, Paul is looking like that leader that takes no kind of nonsense when he leads a trip. I've been, I've been in groups with both things, where a guy is so gracious that it almost turns into where it's a mess, right? Everything's just almost sloppy. But then you have a guy that everyone's so afraid of almost that you're like, you've got to do everything perfect. I think Paul leads that way. But for a guy like John Mark, I kind of think, man, this is the kind of thing that you could say, man... Maybe I'm done in the Lord because someone said I'm never going to do anything again. <laughs> Can I tell you without going too far in depth, I know you guys have had those moments. I've had those moments. I've had the moments where, and it's funny, the world says like haters going hate, right? That's kind of the term that the, the, the world uses. <laughs> the reality is that sometimes, let's be clear, there's consequence to sin. We mess up, we sin, we fall short. Sometimes there's a reality where the Lord gives us time where we got to go home and kind of regroup, Amen. I think Paul, in the best interest of, of, of John Mark, says, I don't think he's ready yet. Barnabas couldn't hear that, though. Barnabas says, no, I want this guy to go. I believe there's something here. They're both kind of right, right? But I think through prayer, maybe they would have sought the right timing to do these things. And that's my take on this. I kind of look at this and go, man, I don't know. I'm seeing what's here. I love one thing, though. Did you see this in verse 40? It says that Paul chose Silas, right? And then they were commended by the brethren to the grace of God. <laughs> You know what they needed when they went out to serve the Lord? Grace. Man, Paul was not perfect. Barnabas was not perfect. Jesus is the only perfect one. I hope we know that, right? The Pope is not perfect, by the way, right? As people that say things that people are perfect, that's incorrect, okay? It's far from it. But the reality is, these two guys here, as they go out, and both parties, as they go out, they need to be covered in the grace of God. You might say, man, I went out and I really had a hard time. I fell on my face in this thing and that thing. Please understand that the grace of God is there to cover you. Don't let those things from yesterday keep you where you're at. Step back into the things of the Lord, but do it prayerfully. I'll tell you, I thought I was ready to plant a church like 14 years ago when I first came to the Lord because I knew everything, right? <laughs> and the Lord just, man, the Lord put me in spots where I fell on my face sometimes. <laughs> And there were times when it was like, man, this is just, I guess I'm just not called to this. This might not be a thing, but I knew in my heart I was called to it. 
It took time, and eventually the Lord in his goodness, in the right season, and I'll tell you, it was a season that I wasn't looking for any of it, and the Lord opened the doors. I was always seeking him, but man, out of nowhere, it just popped open. When I went on staff at the other Calvary I was at, I just remember feeling like, man, I can't believe. After all the times I tried this in my own strength and bombed out, God's grace is here to give me this whole new season, this whole new era, for whose glory? Not for mine, but for his, amen? And see, in this whole thing, they're going out, and what is the purpose of their going out? It says that they went through and they strengthened the churches. That term for strengthening the churches, it's used in Acts 14.22 as well as Acts 15.32. And in both those cases, they preach the word and they teach the word. That's what they do. That's how you strengthen the church, amen? <laughs> you don't need a motivational speech from me this morning. That's not why we're here. But I will tell you that when you're in the word and you feel like, man, the Lord's done with me, you still got breath in your lungs, amen? Make a decision today. If you made that prayer, if you put your life and your trust in the work of Jesus Christ... Until you go to be face-to-face -face with him, there's work for you to do. And it's a good work. You're not saved by that work, but you should walk in it. Amen? That's the thing. Even when we don't know exactly how this is working, or if we get our flesh involved, the Lord is so good to come back with his grace and go, go out now and do these things unto me. But the desire is to seek the Lord before we go out. Amen? <laughs> so we have this first thing, this division that happened. But now we go into chapter 16, and we start to see this discipleship. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says... Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman, and believed, I'm sorry, the mother believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So what we're getting in this section is an introduction to Timothy. That's why I name dropped him earlier. Sorry, confusion, cross wires. We had John Mark that went out with Barnabas. But now we have Paul, who's with Silas, and they seem to meet up here with Timothy. And we're just given this brief introduction to him. They, they show up here, and we were told that they go back to Lystra. Again, I don't know about you guys, but if I've got, talk about like things in the past that will affect us. If I was stoned to almost being clinically dead, basically, I kind of don't think I go back there to do ministry. <laughs> Paul's like, man, can't wait to get to Lystra. <laughs> This guy's determined, right? We talked about this. I love Paul. Again, that, that, that stubbornness. It can be a double-edged sword, right? That stubbornness of I'm going to do what the Lord called me to do no matter what, but there's also sometimes that we just kind of get headstrong. And I think that's kind of what we saw a minute ago. But now he's back in the grace of the Lord. He's being a faithful, strong leader. And he goes out to this place, Lystra. And I think the fact that we're talking about Timothy, it reminded me of 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, right? It's a famous verse we quote. Think about it. Paul wrote that to Timothy later in his life, right? Here's Paul going back into Lystra, the hometown of Timothy. Timothy had to go, man, this guy's crazy. <laughs> Who is this dude that comes back to a place that five years earlier, he got stoned almost to death, and he's back here because he loves the church, he loves the gospel, and he wants to strengthen the body of Christ. I think Timothy, man... He could get words like that written to him by Paul because Paul lived it. <laughs> Paul was a guy that said, as long as you have a sound mind, can I tell you how you get a sound mind? Be prayed up in the Spirit and have your heart rooted in the Word of God. Amen? You get your, your mind off the Word of God, you forget the love that God has for you, and you forget the power that He has furnished you with in the Holy Spirit. That will give you over to fear. 
But if you start with a sound mind, you stay in the Word, you pray up, you stay Spirit-filled, you're going to have power in the Lord. It's Him that fights the battle, amen? And if He calls you somewhere and equips you to get there, you don't have to be scared. Let me be clear. You can be fearful in the sense of like, man, this sounds scary, but you've got to walk through it because the Lord's there, amen? I'm not talking about fake, insincere, like outward confidence. I think about fear being that thought of, man, I could die if I do this, but then saying, but I remember that the Lord loves me. I remember that the Lord has a plan for me. And can I be real with you? This is going to sound oddly morbid, but one out of every one person dies. <laughs> I'd rather go doing the things of the Lord, amen? I guess barring the rapture, right? Okay, everyone's like, oh, what about the rapture? Of course, the rapture. But you know what I mean. Generally speaking, one out of every one, rapture by rupture, you're going to be with the Lord, okay? But the reality is here, he's determined, he goes out and he's here and we get this man, Timothy, that we meet here. And see, I think that he saw Paul's example. Some say that Timothy witnessed the stoning of Paul. We don't have that in scripture. That might just be like a preacher story. But I think it's a cool idea that Timothy saw this man come into town, preach the gospel, get stoned almost to death. And Timothy says, man, that guy's doing what I need to be doing. <laughs> I'm called to do what he's doing. But it's interesting because his father wasn't a believer, we're told, right? In verse, was it verse 1, his father wasn't a believer, but his mother was Jewish. She was a believer in the sense of being a believer and raising him up in Scripture. 2 Timothy 1.5 tells us that Eunice, who is, his, who is Timothy's mom, and Lois, his grandmother, raised him in the faith. See, I think there's something here. And forgive me if this is kind of a, a, a weird thing to bring up because I don't have much experience with this. I came from a home where my mother and father were both there and they both raised me well. I'm in a marriage where we're both there and I'm not raising my kids separate from my wife or anything. But there might be some of you in here this morning that go, man, it's just me. I don't have a believing spouse. Or maybe you're a child and say, I didn't have two believing parents. Can I tell you that that didn't disqualify you from being used by the Lord, amen? <laughs> I think that's such a good reminder because right now, if you went in, I'm just going to be honest, if you go into a therapy session right now, the first thing I'm going to tell you is your parents' fault. <laughs> it's your parents' fault and you need to get in touch with that little kid in your heart, right? That's usually where they go. Look back on your sin. I'm just being general and forgive me if you're a therapist. I, I don't mean to be, uh, okay, I offended you, sorry. Forget it. Okay, but who cares? All right, let's keep going here. <laughs> the reality is, man, Timothy probably had every excuse of why not to serve the Lord. I didn't have a good father figure in my life. Can I tell you? You need it. That's, that's a blessing. That's of the Lord to have a good father figure. But if you don't, can I tell you, you have a good heavenly father. And he desires to bless you. He desires to give you exactly what you need. And he will provide you the things that will set you up to do the work that he has in mind for you as you trust in him. Amen? And see, in this section here, it says that the father was not of faith. And that's basically the, the, the contrast there because it says that his mom was Jewish. But... Right? His father was Greek. The idea is that his father was in unbelief. And everyone knew it, but I love it. Verse 2 says, yet he was spoken of, uh, well spoken of by the brethren. So he became a man of good reputation as he served the Lord. And we know that this fits Ezekiel 18.20. It speaks about the relationship between the sin of the father and the sin of a child. It says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. I felt like the Lord laid this on my heart this week. It's not the first place I would have gone with this, but I see it here and go, man, Timothy, 
you probably could have blamed your dad. <laughs> but instead, you took it upon yourself and said, man, I'm going to walk in righteousness. I'm going to pray for my father, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to pray that I, I walk uprightly and I can be an example. But man, i got to worry about my, walk this out, my salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? I think Timothy committed to this and he went after it and he got this great reputation of, man, he served the Lord. But look at verse 3 through 5. It says, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, speaking of Timothy. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. <laughs> There's a couple things in here that I think are awesome. First of all, we see that there's some discipleship happening here. Paul hears about this young man. We know he's younger than him. He calls him a son in the faith, right? Later in one of, in one of the, uh, I believe it's in 1 Timothy 1-2, he calls Timothy a true son of the faith. Paul says, here's this young man. No father figure, it turns out, right? <laughs> Earthly level. But this guy serves the Lord faithfully. He says, man, I'm going to take this guy under my wing. I'm going to pour into him not for my glory, but for the Lord's glory. Can I tell you something about discipleship? We should always be looking for someone to pour into, amen? We should always have a Timothy to our Paul, right? But can I tell you, Timothy had to be willing to receive it. And I think all of us need to be a Timothy to a Paul, if that makes sense. Although I'm pouring into someone, someone needs to be pouring into me. And there's this thing, this willingness of Paul to say, man, I'm going to take the time and pour into this young guy. Even though I've kind of been burned by young men in the past. Remember, a guy named John Mark kind of deserted him. <laughs> he's, I'm going to take a risk here. And I'm going to pour in this guy. He's got a good reputation. He wants to serve the Lord. I'm going to lead him in this. But Timothy has to say, I don't know everything. I'm willing to make the time to meet with this guy. And I think it's probably easier for Timothy because he saw what Paul endured. He knows who Paul is. But can I tell you, sometimes it's harder for the older folks in the, in the, in, in, in the Lord. And I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about maturity in the Lord. Sometimes we're so busy with ministry like formal ministry, we forget to pour into others. Can I tell you, there's a reason we start a little late every Sunday. <laughs> you might just think I'm really bad or my watch needs to get reset or something, right? <laughs> we want to create a time where, yes, church starts at 10, but can I tell you a very important part of church is fellowship. If I start at 10 with worship, I'll be honest with you, I've been in this myself. At 11.30 when we're done, I'm out of here. I got chilies on my mind or something. I got to go to lunch, right? <laughs> I got to go somewhere. I got to go Texas Roadhouse. I guess Chili's more the California thing. Sorry. Texas Roadhouse, I guess, right? I'm thinking about lunch. But if we can start at 10 and say, man, I can get here and I can pour into a young person. I can, I can come and I can get prayed for when I am hurting. I can pray for others. Can I tell you, this is Acts 2.42. To continue in prayer. To continue in the Apostles' Doctrine. To break bread together. Donuts in our kitchen. No. Uh, to break <laughs> the communion bread together. These are all very important things for us to be doing, not just once a month, like on a prayer and worship night, but every week, amen? And there's a discipleship that's kind of built in there, and I love it because I've heard you guys who have connected and you've met with one another. And I'll tell you, I love that. That's my favorite part of ministry is meeting with guys during the week. I think I met with four different dudes this week, and it was such a blessing because iron sharpens iron, amen? I'm there, and I'm so blessed by it. It's that verse, Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And what fellowship should be doing, it should be doing what Hebrews 10.24 talks about. It says, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Again, the good works that were prepared beforehand. 
that you should walk in them, as Ephesians 2.10 talks about, right? And so there's this, disciple, or sh this discipleship that's happening, but then there's kind of this weird almost record scratch in verse 3 because it says that Paul took him and he circumcised him. <laughs> Do you remember what last week's study was about? You don't have to be circumcised and keep the law to be saved. We don't have to do that, right? We have liberty to abstain, to, so to speak, from the law in the sense of needing to fulfill it for righteousness, right? But can I tell you what Paul does here? It says that he did this because there were Jews in the region. And can I tell you what Paul knew? He knew that, man, Jews will not listen to us. It'll become a hindrance if they know Timothy has a Greek father and has not walked in the things that they hold and revere as holy. Can I tell you what this is? This is, I want to be as effective as possible as I go out and minister unto the Lord. Paul says, I'm not going to let some, yes, do we have the liberty to not be circumcised? The answer would be yes. But then Paul says, but I don't want that to become a hindrance. I brought up a controversial topic last week and I'm going to do it again because I like stirring the pot, right? No, here's the deal. Drinking. It's that topic that everyone gets so uncomfortable on and I love it. I'm sorry. I told you, I don't drink. Now, I believe I'm a pastor. God forbid I, I should be drinking, right? And I, can I tell you why I stopped drinking? It was before I ever took a pastoralship. I stopped because I never wanted to have to have that conversation with someone that came up to me and said, do you drink? And I had to throw out asterisks and situational reasons for why I drink. Can I tell you how easy it is to say, no, I don't drink? It takes away a hindrance from witnessing and testifying to someone that is seeking counsel on such things. Does that make sense? If you have to throw every asterisk and situational thing, people start to kind of go, I don't know if there's credibility to your answer. If you're telling me I, I can be delivered from this, but you still do it, I don't know, right? So that's where that liberty can become a stumbling block, right? You have to be wise on these. I think Paul says, you know what the easiest way to get into the synagogues? These guys that are stumbled by things like circumcision? We've got to circumcise you. I'm sure Timothy was excited about that, right? <laughs> Timothy, guess what? Man, commentators say that, okay, detail here. This is crazy. Paul may have done this procedure himself. That's how serious he was about this. And a week ago, he was like, you don't have to be circumcised. Timothy, we got to circumcise you. What? Because you're not saved by these things, but these things will limit the effectiveness of your witness. Amen? I'm just telling you, be wise. Don't stumble others. Don't let these things become something that will prevent you from giving out the gospel. Amen? And I'll tell you, to me, it's always come through conviction of the Holy Spirit, not because someone told me. You pray and seek the Lord on these things. Can I tell you, I believe that the things that we are willing to lay down open up more opportunity to, be served, or to serve the Lord. I believe the Lord started to call things out of my life that were liberties years before I went into ministry because He saw ahead what I was going to be doing. And I believe if I held on to those things with firm grasp, maybe I don't get to do the things that the Lord called me to do. Not because he's a dis disciplinarian and says I have to be perfect, but because I couldn't have been as useful in those situations. Does that make sense? And I just think it's funny. We see him, he's like, dude, we have the liberty to not do this, but we got to do this. Why? So we can go tell them all the things that the disciples and the elders decided at the Jerusalem council. <laughs> Could you imagine them going in and telling Jews, hey, we just had a council. It turns out you don't have to be circumcised. They're like, you're just saying that because you're not circumcised, right? That's what they would say. Now it's like, no, look, at, we revere the law. But still, we're going to tell you something. The law that Timothy just fulfilled, it doesn't save him. You have to put your trust in Jesus Christ, amen? The things that we do and don't do are not the things that bring the gospel message or salvation to ourselves and others. It's the message of the gospel and that alone. 
But we have to have some credibility when we take it out, amen? I don't think there's anything more disturbing than when you see someone preaching the gospel and the next thing they do is they're just blatantly in sin. I don't know about you guys. That's just very frustrating because I know it because I've been that guy before. And it's terrifying. It's like, man, don't you hear the words that you're saying? You should live by them. It's like me giving someone advice on how to lift weight better. I don't know if you can tell. I don't lift a lot of weights, right? <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous, right? It's like, who are you to tell me that, man? You should go put your own words into practice, right? This is the thing, man. I want to be able to walk out, but it should be with joy, amen? I don't think at any point Timothy was actually like, oh, man, this is so miserable. I can't believe I'm such a martyr for the Lord. <laughs> I'll tell you, Timothy was like, dude, anything to reach these people. I am willing to let go of whatever I need to to be used by the Lord. Amen? And I think it's great because what they told them, they told them that, hey, salvation comes through grace by faith. And in verse 5, it says that the churches were made strong and that they grew in number daily. I got an email a couple weeks ago from someone that asked how we planted this church, like they wanted an outline on how to successfully plant a church. <laughs> And I said, first of all, you emailed the wrong dude because I was in my living room like four months ago and we were just waking up and doing a Bible study. So people started to show up and here they are, right? I don't know as much. Maybe you could tell me how to better plan a church. I don't know, right? And the conversation was, can I tell you what I know you have to do? You have to be filled with the Spirit. You have to teach the Word of God. If you do anything that, you may grow a church that looks very big in number, but I've told you guys, WrestleMania had like 80,000 people at it. That was not of the Lord, amen? <laughs> Numbers don't necessarily mean that it's of the Lord. But I'll tell you how you can identify a church if it's in the Lord. They've got to teach the Word of God. And I believe as you teach the Word of God, people's lives get transformed and they go out and they just tell people, man, it doesn't have anything to do with the guy or the building or that thing or the name of the church. It has to do with the Word of God that's going forth. That's what it should always be about. And see, otherwise we start to put man on a pedestal. We start to put systems on a pedestal. And I'm a marketing guy. If anyone should be reading and studying data, I feel like it's me. But we came out going, Lord, we just know you called us. We're going to teach your word. If one person shows up, we're teaching the word today. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys. Again, I say this all the time. This might be small potatoes to you guys. This is insanity to me. <laughs> that the Lord has blessed his word so blatantly. I've seen it from afar. But to be in it. And see how the Lord does it? It just proves it to be true, amen? It solidifies your salvation. It solidifies your faith. It solidifies all of it. This is not why I'm saved, but it proves that the very thing I believe in is powerful. And as people's lives are transformed and that salvation is replicated, man, God is glorified, amen? And here's Paul. He goes, man, we're going to go out. We're going to tell these people. We're going to do anything we can to make ourselves available to all men. And as they go out, they strengthen the church and it increases, <laughs> Look at verse 6 through 8. We see direction here. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So we hear these city names, we have no idea what this is kind of talking about, right? We're not talking about Plano and McKinney and Allen and stuff. We're talking about Lystra, Iconium. They come up here and they're, they're traveling through and they were forbidden as they went through here. They were thinking they were going to go up into this region. But they end up traveling and they say, okay, maybe we'll go into here and do some work of the Lord. 
The Lord says, no, you're not going to do that either. And they wind up here at Troas. And if you notice anything interesting here, you're kind of at the end of this civilization, of this point. You kind of have to make a decision here. Do we go backwards or do we go forwards? And I don't know if you've ever been in a spot where you have a good intention and a good desire to serve the Lord. You say, man, I want to go out and I want to tell everyone, I'm going to go do this thing, I'm going to do this ministry, and it's going to be the the, just the most blessed and best thing ever. But can I tell you what we don't always appreciate? <laughs> is when the Holy Spirit says no. When the Lord closes the door on something. This to me, I've been here so many times where I go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to plant a church. These are things I said 14 years ago. I'm going to become a traveling worship leader that leads worship. This is, this is what I'm going to do for a living. I'm going to do this. This is going to be great. The Lord shuts the door. He's, you go and test the waters. The Lord shuts the door. And you're like, man, my intention, though, is just to go bless people with the gifting or whatever this thing is in the Lord that he's given me. And see, there's a good zeal that's there. We can agree with that, right? We're talking about timing again. And so you might be in a spot right now where you are so zealous for something that you believe is absolutely the Lord, and it may be, but the timing might just be off. Because can I tell you, Paul eventually gets to some of these cities that he wanted to go to, but it's not going to happen on this missionary journey. The Lord had something else in mind for him in this season, but I think it's wild, because sometimes I do this. I think about Paul, and I go, Paul must have had this like bat phone to the Lord, right? He just picked it up and he knew where to go, what to do all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, he got, wrote a bunch of the New Testament, right? He's here, and he winds up in Troas after the Lord has closed the door to going into Bithynia, to going to Mysia, and he winds up at this crossroads. And the Lord just had shut the doors on him. And I think about this, all these things that I think are great, and then the Lord says no. I sometimes can panic and be like, that's it, Lord, you're done with me forever. I don't know if you guys, maybe I'm not talking to anyone. I'm talking to me, maybe. I go, then that's it, Lord. I guess I'm never going to be used by you ever again to do anything. It's a kind of a pity party, right? Can I tell you often the Lord's no is a slow? It's like, slow down <laughs> until I give you the go. How many times? My wife and I, we lived in Flower Mound in 2011. We lived here for a year. We believed that the Lord had called us to, to really come out here and begin the next phase of our life. We didn't know if it was ministry-related, career-related, whatever. We came out here for a career job. Eleven months later, we were back in California. And I just remember being like defeated, going back to the things that I kind of had these like going away parties and farewells, and here we are, we're back in there, it's embarrassing, right? People are like, hey, are you visiting? No, we quit, we moved back, right? <laughs> like, that's so hard. <laughs> and then you go back to old things and they don't feel right. Can I tell you how underwhelming it was to go back to the things I thought would be waiting for me? I thought all the same ministry opportunities would be there. I thought all the same jobs and things, they weren't. And when I got there, it was like, man, now our home church doesn't even feel like home anymore. We started to feel like we didn't have a home of sorts. We bounced, we went to Calvicino Hills for a little bit. Jack Hibbs, if you guys know Jack Hibbs, awesome teacher. Thought we'd found it, and the Lord shut the door. I went to go get involved, and literally at the servants' meeting, the Lord said, do not turn in your paperwork. I, clear as day. <laughs> not, not an audible thing, but to my heart, do not turn in your work. I'm like, dude, that's all I want to do is serve the Lord. And then my wife tells me, there's this other little Calvary Chapel in Pomona. We should just go check it out. <laughs> I was so hesitant. I'm like, I don't even know about this thing. Let's go check it out. That became my home church where I went on staff and the Lord did so much stuff there. I would have never been, I thought for sure I was going on staff at the church where like my father-in-law is the assistant pastor for the last 40 years. That's, that made sense in my mind. Can I tell you what the Lord does a lot of times? He doesn't use our logic, amen? 
His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And this morning, you might be sitting in a spot where you're like, dude, I'm so zealous to do this thing of the Lord. Just because he's saying no right now, doesn't mean that he doesn't have something else planned for you. It could be that very thing down the road. But sometimes he just tells you, no, I have something even better for you. Amen? And we're going to see Paul has something better here. Look what happens here in verse 9 and 10. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. <laughs> Is the Lord not so faithful to speak when we are so confused? <laughs> Think about where Paul is. He's traveled all over the place and he's probably stopping every so often like, all right, we're going to go up here, seek the Lord. The Lord says, no. Not just a no, but forbidden to go into. That sounds like a hindrance. Like something was put there that said, you cannot enter this area, right? Closed doors. And I think sitting in Troas, he's debating, where do I go from here? In the night, he receives this vision and we're told that it's this man from Macedonia, which is this continent across the Aegean Sea. So it's the crossroads. Do I go back where I came from or do I go over where I'm being called to? And that's modern day Greece is what we're looking at, right? I believe. Yes, modern day Greece. That's where he's headed to. I'm not a geography guy, right? I almost said geology. That's how bad I am at geography, okay? But the reality is, He's going to go across the sea here, and that's where this man's calling him to. He says, come and help me. He's pleading, he's begging, he's praying that someone would come and help them. And can I tell you what's so cool about this section is, first of all, the Lord is faithful to answer him, but did you pick up what happened in Paul's heart? It says, after, they had seen, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. There was a, they were ready to serve the Lord. They were waiting on the Lord, but they were ready. Whenever that call came, they said, we are going where the Lord calls us. <laughs> I'll tell you this morning, I, I've, I've lived that. <laughs> we wanted to get out here like six months prior to when we actually got here, and it felt like, man, I just want to be there. We had this burden for the city of McKinney. We didn't know why. We didn't, never had even been to McKinney before I came out here in July. But we, we looked at it and like, what is this that the Lord has for us? And we couldn't even, it was so hard. We had to wait. The Lord kept telling us, not yet, not yet, not yet. And I believe it was so that we could have a proper handoff of ministry things at the church I was at. I didn't want to abandon the body that I was at, right? The Lord was in control. But the day he said, all right, this is when you can go. I tell you, we were like, as hard as it was to leave family and friends, can I tell you the excitement of just knowing that you were being called by the Lord to go somewhere? That fear, that anxiety of leaving everything you knew. It's like, man, but the Lord has something over here. You rejoice in it, Amen. And see, here's Paul. He's like, man, I'm so not sure what we're doing, where we're going. The Lord gives him this vision and immediately says, this is it, right? This is going to be the thing. But I love the phrase. It says, we sought to go. And so what this means, according to the original language, is there was a process here. They sought out how they should do this. The reality is, I guarantee you they prayed, hey, was this a vision or did I just eat some bad pizza last night, right? I think Paul's trying to figure out, was that just a weird dream of some guy calling for help, right? Who, what was that? So that should show us one thing. Don't just take like any little thing and be like, this is the call of the Lord. I got to go now. See you later, right? Test all things with scripture. Be prayerful. Amen. But then also, there's a reality where they have to figure out how to go across this ocean, right? Out across the sea. And to be able to do that, you have to get like tickets onto the ship. You have to get the place in order. You have to get everyone together. There's planning that goes into this. 
And can I tell you what happened? The Lord opened the doors. The Lord didn't shut the doors on him. There's a reality where as we go out in the Lord, see what we have here is a travel log. It means that practically they actually went and did the thing the Lord called them to and he made it possible for them to do this. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and came the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So on the map, they go from here, they come through here, and they head over to Neapolis into Philippi. That route that they took there, we're told that they got there the next day, so it took two days. See, when we go on trips, we pray for traveling mercies. I don't know if you guys do that. Yeah, Lord, give us traveling mercies. And sometimes we might say that and not even know what that means. What that means is that the Lord would put his hand of protection upon us, that he would guide us, lead us where we're going. Part of going out in the things of the Lord, I believe there's going to be practical provision and there's going to be a traveling mercy there to get you where you need to be, amen? Everyone that's in here that's a transplant, I, it's funny, I talked to different people this week and they were all transplants and they all had the same thing. Man, it was a miracle how we got out here. <laughs> and we're talking about driving a car for like two days, right? Like, uh, let's be clear, I feel like I'm kind of a baby with things like that. I'm like, this is so hard. Like, people died doing these treks a long time ago, right? I'm like, oh man, we almost ran out of gas and we had to stop at Bucky's and have like beaver nuggets. That was great, right? Like, that's my, that's my trial, right? But in this case, it's a different day and age, and you didn't know, they, you know, you get on a ship with big old sails, what happens if the wind is contrary to you? Think about how many times Paul was shipwrecked. <laughs> Paul's probably a little uncomfortable getting on ships, I think, right? He's like, all right, let's go, man. He's a bad flyer, so to speak, right? And he's getting on this thing. It says they got there like the next day. It's funny because the journey back, I think it's in Acts 20, verse 6, it says it took them five days. The winds were contrary on the way back. It took five days. I think there would be such a blessing when you're going into the ministry that everything goes smoothly to get there. What a blessing to your heart when the Lord just takes care and just opens the door, right? Praying for a house, praying for a job, praying for these things, and the Lord just opens one door after another. And it confirms those promises and those callings, amen? So there's this practical and spiritual end, but I think there's something really important in this. It says that we did these things, right? That's the, 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 the phrase that's being used. It says, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course. Luke starts using this pronoun, a we, instead of talking about everyone else from this like third person kind of thing, right? We believe that in Troas, in this place where Paul didn't know why he was there or what he was doing here, many believe this is where he met Luke. See, if Paul goes into Bithynia, and he goes up here and does all this stuff, you know, disregarding the leading of the Lord, he potentially never meets Luke. Luke wrote the book we're reading today, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke. But in the moment, Paul's like, why can't I just go up there? The Lord had plans. And not only that, but then across the sea, what was he being called to do? Back in verse 10, it said he was being called to help so that he would preach the Gospel. There were people in this region, in, in Europe, if you will, that had not heard the gospel yet. Paul had a mind on like, what he thought ministry should look like. He was going to hit a couple cities right, in Asia Minor. <laughs> but the Lord says, no, no, no. I'm going to take you over here. I'm going to take you out of Galatia. I'm going to take, take you into this whole region over here. And I'm going to give you such a bigger ministry than you ever thought you could do. And not for his glory. And I'm not even talking about numbers or prosperity. We know Paul's going to end up in jail, right? Hear me out. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the blessed work of walking out the things the Lord has planned for His glory. Amen? 
And so they get there. Look what happens in verse 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of, our, of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. <laughs> and this is where we're going to finish our chapter today. We're just going to go through this section here. But it's pretty incredible because they show up, and I think Paul has this vision of a man in Macedonia. <laughs> he thinks he knows what he's going to. He shows up to the city of Philippi, and out by the river, I believe the river, we believe it's the Gangites River, it's about a mile and a half outside of the city of Philippi. He gets there because his practice is to go find the Jewish congregation, right, in every town. That's always his model. You go to the Jews first, you preach the gospel of Jesus being the Messiah, right, being the Savior, and then you go out and you preach to everyone else. That was kind of the model. Jesus said, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? But it didn't mean he didn't preach to Gentiles. We understand that, right? But the reality is, here's Paul. He shows up, and I can imagine he gets there, and he goes, all right, cool, I'm going to find the synagogue. <laughs> gets into town. There is no synagogue. He's in Philippi. It said it was a colony. A colony meant that it was populated by Rome. They put their soldiers there. They put the veterans there. They put the poor and needy there to receive government-like support. You had tons of Gentiles in this place. But yet... There's some women who are Jewish, it says, that were meeting by the riverside, and they were praying. I think this is so typical, right? Women, man, women are holier than men, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I always laugh about this. We can announce a women's study, and there's like 55 women show up. We tell men's study, there's like three dudes show up, and they're like, ah, I'm good, dude. I don't want to talk about my feelings, right? Women, they show up, and they're just like, we want to seek the Lord. We want to pray. Praise the Lord for the women in the church, amen? <laughs> but I think it's so funny here, because in this place, we have... Not, all you needed to make a synagogue was 10 faithful Jewish men. That's all you needed. And if you had it, you had to make a synagogue if you had 10 of them. They weren't there. The women, though, didn't say, well, since the guys aren't leading, they're doing it. There's just no men here. We're going to go and we're just going to pray. We're going to do what we can. We're going to go by the river. We're going to pray. And can I tell you what I imagine those prayers look like? I'm just guessing, but they're probably feeling forsaken. We're in this land of Gentiles. There's not enough men so faithful that they would serve the Lord. And all we're doing, Lord, is send us help. Send us the ability to know you better, that you would reveal yourself to us. It reminds me of Ezekiel 1. Do you remember when the prophet, he's by the river Kavet, he's in Babylon in captivity. And he's 30 years old, which means he should have started his priesthood back in Jerusalem, but that doesn't exist anymore. He's in captivity. And it, unexpectedly, the Lord manifested himself in all his glory by that river and told him, I have plans for you. <laughs> I have plans to send a savior. Amen? Here's Paul suddenly shows up by this riverbed <laughs> and he says, hey, I got a message for you. The Lord's not done with you. Jesus Christ came and died for your sins. If you put your faith in him, the grace of God will actually save you from death. You will have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul comes and preaches like this guy out of nowhere. What if he doesn't answer that call to go to Macedonia? Can I tell you, I believe the Lord raises someone else up. The Lord is, has all kinds of resources, amen? <laughs> We're blessed to participate in it. 
And Paul, he gets here, he preaches to them. And these women are here, he preaches. And one of the women, we're told, is this lady, Lydia. It says she's from Thyatira. That's, that's a Gentile place. And it says that she worshipped God. That's a phrase that means that she was kind of an outsider to Judaism. She wasn't a full convert, so to speak. But she revered the God of Israel. Does that make sense? So she shows up. I feel like this is almost like someone that's searching for truth to an extent. She goes, she says, this seems like truth. I'm in on this. What is this about? Trying to figure it out. But can I tell you, it says that she sells purple. And we look at that, we're like, what does that mean? Right? <laughs> purple was a, a cloth that was made from dye of like a shellfish. It was very costly because it wasn't easy to get. And that city, Thyatira, it was like this great com commerce place, right? So she's probably wealthy. She's a Gentile. She's in a Gentile place. She's probably rather comfortable. Well, yeah, here she is seeking for truth. And I tell you, people think that money will satisfy you. <laughs> people think that just being comfortable and content, that'll satisfy you. Lydia was here and she was seeking truth. And when Paul showed up and preached the gospel of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it said that when she heard this, right, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Praise the Lord for the Lord opening our heart. Amen. My heart is hard, but the Lord has promised, I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh in Ezekiel 36, 26, right? He says, I will give you that heart that can be soft, that can receive my things. And he does this work in Lydia. She hears it and she responds in verse 15. It says again, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. <laughs> Her first response was to identify and be identified with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I tell you, that should be the first thing in our heart when we hear the gospel and believe it. Say, that's my Jesus. That is my Savior. That is now my Lord. And the response is obviously we understand in the old ways was to be dipped to show that you needed cleansing. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is you are being buried in his death, that he has atoned for your sins. You've been raised up into new life in the power of his resurrection. Amen? That's what she's saying. She says, I believe this. I want in on this. She is baptized. Some of the fulfillment of the Great Commission here, right? They're in Europe. This woman is the first convert to Jesus Christ in Europe that we have in Scripture. Go and make disciples of all the ends of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? But in Matthew 28, 20, it also goes on to say, and teach them to observe all the commandments that I've taught you. That's what Jesus said. And I think it's interesting. She gets baptized and Paul doesn't go, okay, cool, let's get out of here now. We baptize you, that's good, see you later. She craves fellowship. She says, I, now, I believe that gift, gift of hospitality in the Spirit. She says, I want you guys to come be with me. I, in gratitude, I want to bless you and serve you. I just want to be together. I want a fellowship. And I think it's funny. She kind of lays a guilt trip on him a little bit, right? She's like, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. What's Paul going to do? Not go now, right? Like, this is such an awesome, I don't know. I think I relate to that a little bit. This woman just laid a guilt trip on him. He's like, oh, okay, like, all right, we'll go. She persuaded us, it says, right? But it's so cool, the heart of it is she wants to fellowship with believers. She wants to grow in the Lord because of the faith that she has placed in the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. Amen? This, to me, is why this message is about maturity. <laughs> see, Lydia wasn't satisfied, nor was Paul satisfied with Lydia simply being baptized, saying, okay, see you later, have fun. 
He says, man, let's continue in growing in fellowship. Let's continue to see how you will grow in the Lord. He knew that he was called there to care for these people in Macedonia to help them. It wasn't a humanitarian effort. It was a gospel effort. I have to go and tell people about Jesus. Can I tell you, any good missions trip, any good call on the Lord needs to be rooted in preaching the gospel, amen? But once we have it, what do we do with it? Again, you're saved by grace, your faith. But Ephesians 2.10 tells us we have good works to walk out in the Lord. And I just love Paul's attitude. He says, Look, any, I'm immediately ready to serve the Lord wherever he calls me. He's ready to lay down any liberty that would make a hindrance to be an effective witness. He's willing down to lay down his comforts. He's getting on ships. He's going to strange places. He's going back to places where he was once stoned. <laughs> and he says, I will go anywhere the Lord calls me because I have been saved by grace through faith. Amen? And so this morning, what we wanted to do just to finish this morning, <laughs> again, it just, this whole thing reminded me of Acts 2.42. And so my desire was that we would partake in communion this morning together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a little different. Usually we hand it out. I have a table set up up here. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pray over the elements from here. I'm going to do a little bit of worship, and you guys can come get your elements. Does that make sense? Okay, why don't you guys stand with me and come for the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace and for your love, Lord. And Father, we pray that this morning, as we've heard your word, that we would respond to your word. Lord, that we would desire to abide in you, Lord Jesus, because your blood was shed, because your body was bruised, it was wounded for our transgressions and for our iniquities. Lord, Father, I pray that you would allow us to come in a worthy manner this morning. Lord, as we partake of, of the table, Lord, Father, that we would partake of the Lord's Supper, Lord, as we do this, that we would do it with the right heart. I pray right now that everyone in this room, Lord, would do business with you. Any sin, any resentment, any bitterness, anything they may have with one another in this room, that they would handle those things. Lord, I pray that they would lay these things before you and that they would seek for your spirit a fresh filling of it because of that faith in who you are, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would bless the elements, Lord. We lift up the cup, we lift up the bread, Lord. We pray as it represents the blood and the body of our Lord Jesus that we would not take it for granted, Lord, but that we would take it in the right, worthy manner. And Lord, I pray that right now anyone in this room, if you do not believe upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. You... The Bible tells us you cannot partake in this. You should not partake in this communion if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the good news is today you can believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. <laughs> right where you sit, right where you stand, you can pray in the silence of your heart. If you want to begin this relationship, this relationship of walking out those good works for God's glory, you could begin it with this prayer right where you stand. You say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.